Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at a sermon theme called He Gets Us, as we've seen how when Jesus took on human flesh, when he came to this world, he went through a lot of the same things that you and I go through. He experienced life in ways that he can understand what we're going through. One of the things Jesus faced through his life in this world was a lot of opposition, some criticism from time to time, even mockery. And Jesus tells us today through his transfiguration how he handled normally that kind of opposition by letting his words and works do the talking. Maybe you heard it as we were reading through Matthew chapter 17. We'll look at it again in just a couple of moments. Some words that sometimes confuse people as, as those three disciples saw the transfiguration of Jesus. Before they came down the mountain, Jesus actually said to those disciples, don't tell anyone. It seems kind of odd at first glance, doesn't it? Isn't that what God wanted the disciples to do, was be witnesses of his love? And so maybe we could think about that just a bit this morning. What kind of secret keeper are you? Do you know the old saying that two people can keep a secret if one of them is, anybody can fill in the blank for me, dead, right? That's how apparently we're supposed to keep secrets, right? One person has to have no ability to tell the secret anymore, and then the other person might be able to keep it. I wonder sometimes if Peter, James, and John couldn't help themselves but talk about what they had seen. But there's reason for Jesus' instructions. Did you notice that there was a little qualifier? Don't tell anyone until, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want the disciples to tell about it. He just knew it wasn't the right time yet. You see, there were some false ideas about Jesus and some criticism, some chief priests and teachers of the law who wanted Jesus out of the way, who didn't understand his purpose. And so Jesus teaches us a little bit about how to handle some of the criticism that we might face in our lives too. And as we look at this text a little bit deeply, more deeply today and, and ask that question, consider that question, how did Jesus handle criticism, let's note three things from Matthew's account of the transfiguration. First, that he gave glimpses of his glory. Every miracle that Jesus did, even in his teachings, but here on the trans Mount of Transfiguration, he showed who he truly was. Secondly, he had his father's approval. We'll certainly see that in the words that God the Father spoke from the cloud. And then finally, he takes away all fear. Will you listen with me again to the first two verses of Matthew's account of the transfiguration? After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. A lot has been written over the years trying to figure out exactly where Jesus took his disciples. Where is the Mount of Transfiguration? And I suppose we could spend a couple of minutes speculating as Jesus was in and around the area of the Sea of Galilee, but in the end, the Bible doesn't tell us where the mountain was. And perhaps there's good reason for that because it wasn't the where that's important. It's the why Jesus took the disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration that's important. And as we think about that today, before we get there, let's just review how this all came about. 
It's those three disciples, sometimes called the inner three disciples. They got to see some special things that the other disciples didn't. We're not told why. We certainly don't get the impression from Scripture that somehow they were more worthy, but that in his grace, God took these disciples to those events. Do you remember that it was Peter, James, and John who got to see the raising of Jairus' daughter? And later, it was Peter, James, and John who were taken deeper in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying. But here they get to go to the Mount of Transfiguration, a place that's away from everyone else, a place of solitude. And Jesus shows them something remarkable there. Matthew almost reports it so simply as if he can't find words in the language to tell us exactly what happened. There he was transfigured before them, Matthew says. Jesus was changed. His appearance changed. His face shone like the sun, Matthew says, and his clothes became bright white. I love Mark's gospel. It says that his clothes was bleached whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. That was Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his splendor. That's what the disciples got to see. There was a glimpse that Jesus gave of who he truly was. Maybe from time to time as the disciples walked around with Jesus, they didn't always remember that he was the Son of God as well as being fully human. And so here on the mountain, Jesus visibly reminds those disciples that yes, he is something to behold, something to worship, something to be glorified. I can't speak for the disciples, but I, I tried to put myself in, in their position, wandering around with Jesus and, and seeing him eat and sleep and seeing him get tired and sad. And I wonder if it was hard for them to always remember that he was truly the Son of God because that part of Jesus seemed to be hidden more often than not. Certainly when they saw the miracles, they were reminded. But it, it made me think about interactions that people sometimes have in our world with others who are famous. And they know the person is famous, but they can't quite place where they're famous from. This one's a little bit older, and perhaps you've seen it before. But there's someone who's so excited about seeing someone they recognize, a movie star, right? And it's not Matt Damon that they ran into. And so they post, we saw Matt Damon. And don't you find it comical that Mark Wahlberg actually commented and said, close enough, right? <laughs> they had the wrong celebrity. They knew they met somebody famous, but they didn't know exactly who it was. Maybe Jesus felt like that sometimes too, that, that people didn't really know who he was because he took on human flesh, because he lived as one of us. They didn't always recognize the hidden glory that was underneath. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus left no doubt as to who he is. Truly God and truly human in the very same person. Listen to what happens next because the surprises weren't quite finished. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? 
That is, in addition to seeing Jesus in all his glory, suddenly the disciples also saw two others who appeared, Moses and Elijah. It doesn't seem as if they needed to make any introductions. The disciples recognized who was standing there with Jesus, and we could ask why, as they got this glimpse of Jesus' glory, why Moses and Elijah? We know from the Old Testament scriptures that they certainly are dignitaries, I suppose we could say, in the Old Testament, people who served God faithfully, even through some difficult times. But the Bible simply doesn't tell us why those two, why Moses and Elijah. But what it does demonstrate is the comfort the comfort that that brings to you, to me, to the disciples, to see not just Jesus, but these Old Testament witnesses that somehow they recognized, witnesses who had pointed ahead to the coming Messiah, and now were having a conversation with that Messiah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter talked about that in his second epistle. We read it earlier, how he was an eyewitness of Jesus' glory. And Peter wants to prolong the event. It's good. It's good to be here, Lord. Maybe we should put up some tents, some shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He just wants to live in the moment to bask in that glory of Jesus. And then the most surprising thing of all happens. First, Jesus and all his glory, then Moses and Elijah, and then the cloud. A cloud envelops them, covers them, and the voice from the cloud says, this is my son whom I love. Maybe you've heard this word before. It's called a theophany, when God appears visibly. And throughout the Old Testament, there are instances of God appearing, particularly in the form of a cloud. We read it in Exodus 24 earlier. Perhaps the most famous theophany, appearance, visible manifestation of God that we know from the Old Testament it's the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Do you remember learning about these? When the people of Israel left Egypt, God led them through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud by day and a, and a pillar of fire at night. The people knew exactly where to go. God was guiding them, leading them, taking them, and then stopping where it was time to camp at the next location. There was no question in their minds what God wanted for them because he led them in a very visible way. Do you wish that God would do that in your life? That there would be some visible appearance of God that would light up a little path for you and say, this is the way I want you to go. Here's the path I want you to choose. This is where you sh what you should do with your life. We do wish that sometimes, don't we? But I find it amazing that when Peter talks about witnessing Jesus' glory, he points us not in the hopes that we would see some visible sign of Jesus, but he points us to something else, the sign that God has given us, the truth that he has given us in his word. Did you see how Peter did that? We have the words of the prophets that are reliable, that make us more certain. The psalmist said it this way, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. That's what God has given you. That's what he's given me, his word that guides us and leads us through life, the word that points us to the glory of Jesus and the forgiveness that is ours in our Savior. No wonder the Father said, listen to him. It's Jesus who has the words of eternal life. Well, let's see how the story finishes up. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them 
Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That approval of the Father scared the disciples. Do you remember that that was a mirror image, those words that the Father spoke at Jesus' transfiguration from the time of his baptism? As Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, the voice from heaven came, this is my son whom I love. But the disciples were terrified, and of course they were. We understand completely why they were. They're terrified because they're in the presence of holiness. Suddenly they recognize their own sins, their own shortcomings, because they were in the presence of a holy God. Nothing will make you more acutely aware of your own unholiness than being in the presence of the holiness of God. Maybe, I've thought to myself from time to time, that's why, generally speaking, the front row in a church is often empty. Thank you for sitting in the front row this morning. I appreciate it. But I wonder if people just think, well, maybe, maybe we can't get too close to the altar, the representation of God, because he's holy and we're not. You see, we know the truth of Scripture, right? That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't have to take a very deep look at our lives to understand that we can't love God above all things, that we don't love others as we love ourselves. And we know what that sin does. It separates us from the holiness of God. It makes us want to keep our distance from him. But this is the amazement of Jesus appearing on this earth. He didn't come to demonstrate that he could be both God and human fully in the same person. He came to save. And so the very same Jesus who demonstrates his glory on this mountain, he's the one who forgives sin. He's the one who went to a cross so that you and I are forgiven. It's why he could say to the disciples as he bent down and touched them, get up, don't be afraid. And he has the same message for you today. And for me, don't be afraid. You don't have to fear God's glory. You don't have to fear the holiness of God because God sees you as holy. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the holiness and righteousness of God. That's your assurance. That's what the disciples understood as they saw the glory of Jesus on the mountain. And maybe it's a bit surprising as they come down the mountain when Jesus says, don't tell anyone, but he's trying to keep the false ideas about him being some sort of earthly Messiah who was going to feed the people and overthrow Roman rule. He's trying to keep that away until, until he rose from the dead. Can, can you imagine the impact this had on those three disciples? I'm not sure if they went back and told the other disciples what they got to see. There had to be some questions, right? Where, where did he take you? Where did you guys go? But that they got to see this glory of Jesus, what they were about to see, this is about four to six months before Jesus' crucifixion. They were about to see Jesus at his lowest. Punished, beaten, spit on, mocked a crown of thorns driven into his head. And maybe they would wonder, is that really the Savior that was to come? 
But the impact of this vision, seeing Jesus in all of his glory, would let them know beyond a shadow of a doubt that was what Jesus came to do, to be pierced for our transgressions, to be crushed for our iniquities. Yes, the Jesus that we see glorified on Mount, the Mount of Transfiguration, that's our Savior. Just a note about Jesus handling criticism. I know there are well-meaning Christians in our world that want to defend God's truth. As we look around and see the attacks that are happening on the Bible, attacks that are happening on the truths that we know, the truths that we hold dear, it's hard sometimes, isn't it, not to want to lash out when people mock, when people criticize. And it's become easy, unfortunately, for well-meaning Christians to do that, maybe particularly through their keyboards or through typing a message into some social media outlet. And sometimes it comes across in ways that aren't quite as loving as we would like them to be. Have you seen these? People who attack others, who don't really demonstrate Christian love and their zeal to defend God and his truth. Maybe Jesus gives us a good example of how to handle criticism today when he simply lets his words and his works speak for him. He lets the Father's approval be all he needs. He lets the ability that he has to do the saving work that God sent him to do speak. And maybe that's a better approach for us as Christians. Instead of arguing with people, instead of trying to be right, can we just point them to Jesus' words, to Jesus' works? The joy that we have in knowing a Savior from sin has come. The joy of knowing that's a truth that we can share with others. And the joy of knowing that that's the message that the Holy Spirit works through. You see, Jesus doesn't need us to defend him. His word will do it all on its own. So as we think about Jesus' approach, let's let the words and works of Jesus talk for us too. A couple takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, like Jesus' time on earth, the glory of being his own, his own children is often hidden. It's interesting how Paul wrote about this in his letter to the Colossians. He said, your life is now hidden with God in Christ. But when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you see what he's saying? Sometimes being a Christian isn't that easy, is it? The glory of Jesus is hidden to us, too. We still have to struggle through things in this life. We might still face mockery and criticism. But Paul reminds us that the glory is still coming. And when Jesus appears again, we will appear with him in that glory. Number two, through Jesus, God has given his approval to us as his own children. It's awesome to have a baptism today, to hear again those beautiful words that God made Alea his very own, and that that's true of each one of us. God can say to you and me, all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed with yourselves with Christ. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Finally, number three, we let Jesus' victory for us shape the way we respond to criticism. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 4, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So the disciples got to see Jesus' glory and that led them through the passion of Jesus' suffering. Well, Wednesday, we get a chance to do the same thing. Wednesday Lent starts, it's Ash Wednesday, and once again we're privileged to walk with Jesus as he goes through his work to suffer and die for us. Maybe what Jesus does for us on Transfiguration can carry us through to the second mountain. 
Because there's really two mountains that bookend the Lenten season. The first is this Mount of Transfiguration where we see Jesus in all of his glory. But the second mountain is one you're very familiar with. It's Mount Calvary. It's the mountain that Jesus climbed with a cross. And then on that cross, he said some beautiful words. It is finished. Reminding you that your sins are paid for in full. Remember those mountains. As you see Jesus suffering, remember the victory that's at the end. Hold on to that victory of Jesus every single day. And then know that that victory shapes your life. No matter what comes, what criticism, what mockery comes, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.